Welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. An action-packed podcast where we'll discuss all things entertainment. You're the answer to are we alone in the universe? Conventions, prop collecting, cosplay, interviews, reviews, and so much more. The show starts with host Brian Gardner right now. So on this week's episode of Be More Super, the podcast, we've got a great guest. It's a first for the show. We normally have just straight actors, but this week we've got a legend in the house. Um, This man has voiced over 250 characters, has got over 2,000 credits to his name, winner of a Daytime Emmy, three Annie Awards, a Peabody, and is just an outright legend. It's, of course, Rob Paulson. Rob, welcome to the show, sir. Egad, Brian, you sound like an awful lot of my friends from across the pond. It's quite remarkable, really. No. <laughs> Do you know what is is fantastic? Is that, you know, laughter and, and happiness is such a wonderful thing. And when we listen to your work and your voices, it just literally lifts those clouds and it just brings out happiness so i've got to thank you for that before we start talking about your wonderful career because what you've done over the years you've not only molded um you know my childhood my girls childhood because they absolutely love you um but you know everyone's around the world and you're continuing to do you know great things which i think is fantastic uh well it is fantastic and and uh, it's fantastic because I'm allowed to continue this wonderful job that I've been so fortunate to be a part of. Um, I, I thank you. I truly don't know um, how to <laughs> adequately thank you for such a profound compliment, especially when you uh, included your your sweet children in the in the context. Um, you are one hundred percent correct, uh, Brian. Laughter, joy kindness uh, is utterly um, sort of has nothing to do with age, race, finances, language even. Um, And so to be in a position now where all I have to do is say, hello, Brian, Uh, you know, look what happens to your face. And I would submit there are probably many people watching to whom the same thing would happen. It is I who is the lottery winner. Um, the only person who gets a bigger kick out of what you just did than you is me. Um, and I get to see it all the time. So uh, I, I, I am, I don't even know how to, how to adequately describe how grateful I, I feel. And to, to be able to do this uh, as I get older, and nobody cares what I look like is a remarkable thing in, in, in a business that is often geared around, you know, how, how perfect you look. Um, yeah, exactly. I don't draw, them, I don't write them, but it doesn't matter. The collaboration turns out to, turns out that it produces something that is, if it works right, is iconic, timeless. And there will be people maybe a hundred years from now when you and I are both dust who may watch this and still get a jolt of laughter out of it. That is remarkable. Definitely. It's, it's, it's all about putting that stamp. I think throughout life, no matter what job we do, what, what life we live, 
you know it's mm-hmm. it's about leaving the world a better place than when you and that isn't from me that is from Christopher Reeve who's my all-time idol is he's, he's he's my superman yeah. and and i wrote 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 to his son will reeve to say you know how passionate i was about super, superman and and what he taught him as a parent and that was what he said you leave the world a better place and um, exactly. and you're def, def, definitely going to do that with all your amazing voices and work so so let's let's discover how you got into this business because how does someone that wanted to be a hockey player uh, you know, get into the industry of voice work. Yeah, well, you just you just go to the cartoon voice shop out here on Hollywood Boulevard and you fill out an application and they call you. Um, well, firstly, you're right. I, I still have my Detroit Red Wings hat on. I'm To this day, I'm such a fan of the Red Wings that when I cut myself, I bleed red, just like the Red Wings. So I'm really a fan. Um, you know, Brian, in my case, I came to L.A. Uh, in 1978, almost 44 years ago, wow, to ostensibly to do what most folks do when they come here um, who are performers. In my case, I was a singer who became an actor and did a lot of theater. I was uh, I determined it was my time to jump in the big kids pool. And so I drove out here from Michigan in my little Honda and packed it full of my stuff and my mom really did stand on the front porch in tears in her bathrobe. Um, and uh, I, uh, I came here ostensibly to do live action. And that's what I was doing. I was doing music, singing in clubs, uh, producing demos with songwriting partners, a um, lot of on-camera commercials uh, for the usual suspects, McDonald's, Ford, Chevy, Levi's, you name it. Um, and episodic television. In those days, it was MacGyver, St. Elsewhere, Hill Street Blues, Love American Style, uh, half a dozen movies, uh, and, and beginning to make my living solely from my acting. This was probably about three, four years after I got here. Uh, still doing odd jobs to survive, but when I say make a living, it was a better quality of ramen, you know? Yeah. Um, but hey, no pity needed here. It was my choice. Absolutely my choice. Mm. So when it went south and when it was difficult, I didn't expect pity. It yeah. was a choice. Um, yeah. So about the mid 80s, 85, 85, I was uh, asked to audition for animation roles. And of course, I jumped at it, um, mm. even though that was not the reason I came here. I want to work. Acting is acting, whether it's mm. your voice, your body, whatever, it's performance. Um, and so it turns out that I, Brian, was able to literally live that axiom that luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Even though, you know, young Rob, when I was imitating Elvis Presley and trying to rip off, you know, riff my own characters and do things because they just made my soul happy. Little did I know that my influences, the Pythons, Peter Sellers, the Goons, Jonathan Winters, Carol Burnett, all of those folks were inspiring me to do things with my friends that just made us happy. Yeah. Little did I know that in my early thirties, that would prepare me for this, uh, opportunity. And so I jumped in. 
I had a ball. And the first thing that I noticed when I was in my first animated recording sessions, which were G.I. Joe and Transformers, and we know what happened with them. We didn't know that at the time. But the one thing I noticed immediately uh, as a young actor who was virtually always uh, uh, an audition was offered based on my look. It's always the way it goes. It's mm. just the nature of the beast. But to be in a session where there were people I recognized from episodic television growing up who were utterly unlimited by the way they looked, uh, or rather that they were not limited, that they, they were doing things and creating characters with their voice that was nothing like what they were known for. Yeah. And I thought, oh man, this, this is the gig. Um, and so while I was not interested in uh, eschewing on camera stuff, I told my agent, man, throw me in for as many of these as you can, because it literally is like being a little kid. You're just yeah. playing limited by your imagination. That's it. In fact, they encourage it to just be wacky and bizarre and not be self-conscious. Um, and I made the right choice uh, because at that age, uh, as an average looking Caucasian boy from Michigan, I was not limited by my look. And now as a old man, an old Caucasian man who's been from, uh, been in LA longer than Michigan, but I'm still not limited <laughs> the way I look. If I can start talking like Carl Weezer all day long, it just makes everybody happy or maybe throw up. I don't know, but it has definitely gets a reaction, Brian. It certainly does. It certainly does. And what did your family think of your direction? So you go out to be an actor and 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 do that, but then you decide then to go into voice work. I mean, what was your family's you know reaction to that? Are you getting paid? Yes. We're in, you know, it, it, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, and from a practical and a, and a, uh, a sort of personal sense, my parents, uh, I'm the oldest sibling in my family. And I clearly remember, uh, the day that I told my folks after a year of college that I was wasting their money and my time. And, and, uh, they were always very supportive, uh, of I and my siblings doing, um, or me and my siblings doing the theater and music and sports and all that, uh, mm -hmm. as long as we did our studies and we did. Um, however, they sort of created a monster with respect to me. And after a year at college, I came home and I said, I'm wasting your money and my time. I, I really, really want to be in the moving picture business. And I, I understand what that means. I understand that the money that's following me to Ann Arbor, Michigan, at the University of Michigan, that that gravy train dries up. Uh, and I understand that you are not beholden, mom and dad, to send me any money to keep me living. Mm. I'm, you have given me, if nothing else, a profound sense of personal responsibility. I was very aware that I was going to be on my own. Uh, financially, not emotionally. My parents loved us. They they supported us, but they couldn't afford to start sending money to me mm. when there are three other kids coming up, all of whom probably wanted to go to college, and they did. So it was not met with open arms and glee, and uh, uh, but it was met with, well, there's always a room here. If you change your mind, we would prefer that you finish school 
but I said, I understand that. And I reserve the right to do that, but I'm, I think I'm in. And uh, for me, it was the right decision because in my case, I preferred having the practical experience that would, I believe, help me more than say getting a degree in music. Um, that is not at all to let folks know that they shouldn't go to school. Everybody, <laughs> you know, I, I am a lottery winner and I know it. I had no plan B. Uh, my route to success was my route. It, it's different for everyone. Um, I think partly, partially I was a little naive, but that was a good thing in my case. Had I been very aware of, uh, you know, what it costs to live here, and it's way more expensive now, all of that, um, it might have dissuaded me a bit. But when I got here and I was in and my car broke and I'm, I'm a big gearhead and I learned how to fix it to keep it running, the air conditioner was break, I learned how to, you know, all of that stuff. Um, necessity is totally the mother of invention. And I figured it out. And I'm grateful that I did. Um, so once I started making a living, I think my parents breathed a sigh of relief. And I totally get that. My son has grown mm. now. I, I always hate it for him and his wife when things are lean. Um, you don't want your kids to struggle in any way, mm. even if it's teaching them a lesson. Yeah. Um, and so when well, my parents came out to visit after we bought a home, and my dad's like, wow, you this is a nice crib. So yeah, not bad, huh? <laughs> you go to work dressed like that, like I am now. So, yep. And you're a car nut. You, that's a nice car. I said, yep. I'm a blue collar worker in the Dream Factory. I'm not a movie star, but there's a huge number of actors between folks on the down low, eating out of a trash can, and Brad Pitt. There are people like me, and so. Obviously, in terms of a personal aspect with respect to my wife and son, when I started making some nice dough, that was very helpful as well. Um, <laughs> so there are practical aspects to any artistic endeavor, which mm -hmm. make it a little more tricky. Um, because if you're driven to perform and you can't imagine your life without it, but you got to eat and if you continue to miss your mortgage payments, you know, your wife may say, honey, I can't do this. That's a practical problem in the context of art. And it has been that way since art began, mm. you know, so uh, walking that line and finding a way to make a living doing what you would do for free is um, often very challenging. Um, I found a way to do it like many others but I can also tell you people whom I have utter respect for in terms of their, of, of their character and also their prodigious skill. Just mm -hmm. could not get over that hump. Just could not ever have more than one or two years in a row where they could you know, make a living. And it has nothing to do with their skill. Um, mm -hmm. It is just the nature of the beast. So while I take my work seriously, I don't take myself that seriously because I realize there are components that have nothing to do with my skill. Uh, mm. I, I, but I, what I am very good at is knowing when I've got a great opportunity and not blowing it. And, and that's what I think 
you know, I've, I've had more than my share of, of lucky opportunities, but to take those opportunities and turn them into a steady job uh, is where I think I've, I've become strong and learned from my failures. I think it's amazing. And they say that everyone has a voice, but what makes for a good, you know, voice yeah. actor? Great question. Well, you you all answered about half it. It is voice acting, small v, large a. It's about acting. Acting is acting. Whether you do it, whether you're Yakko or Raphael or Donatello or Carl or Pinky or you name it, uh, Bart or Mickey or Goofy or Rick or Morty, it is about acting. Um, the difference, obviously, is that the artists act with their pencils or their computer renderings. Um, and without a great script and uh, the melding of a cool visual with my work um, is often timeless. Uh, yeah. Bugs Bunny is 80 years old. And mm. people are watching Bugs right now on YouTube and DVDs or wherever else they're being offered. And they're laughing at kill the wabbit, kill the wabbit. And they don't know anything about, about Wagner or the Ride of the Valkyries. They just know that Bugs Bunny is singing this crazy opera. Um, yeah. And timeless. All the people who contributed to the success of Bugs Bunny initially are gone. It doesn't matter. Um, execution at a high level rend uh, renders great results. And um, so... That is the one thing I let folks know all the time is that it's about acting, study acting, study improv. Um, I am good at my job because I'm a good actor. I ought to be. I've been doing it for 40 years. Well, 50 <laughs> yeah. take the time that I wasn't getting paid for it. Um, and uh, but it is a deeply collaborative effort. People don't wait for the next Rob Paulson cartoon. And that's fine. If I'm in it uh, and I am given a wonderful script with talented artists and wonderful producers, then often it ends up being a show like Animaniacs, which is now enjoying huge success again with a brand new iteration with Steven Spielberg uh, with an exponentially larger audience. So that tells me that the first go around was not an accident. Um, it was, it deserved being called, um, maybe iconic now because it's a quarter century later, but I don't think that was faint praise. I think it's really a good show. And the fact that the new cast of writers uh, with the old actors and Mr. Spielberg uh, were influenced so deeply by the first go around that they utterly get the ethos um, is reflected in how successful the show is. It's really big again. And and and, boy, and how how was it to go, you know? Obviously, oh. you voiced the originals, and then to go back to this reincarnation, this this revival yeah. of of the show. How was it to go back and to voice those characters again? Well, clearly, I was ap aptly cast as Yakko because I haven't shut up since you were nice enough to have me on the show. <laughs> but this is where I become a bit speechless because yeah. How do I, how do I explain the best 
feeling in the world work-wise. And I can explain it in the following way. Um, there was an episode of Animaniacs during the first batch uh, in which everybody who was anybody in, in the Hollywood animation realm was at a particular session. I think the it was a two-part episode that was like the Warner Brothers 65th reunion special. Very funny, lots of music. But we had a lot of parts, a lot of small parts, no small actors. Um, mm -hmm. But everybody was there, including a lot of celebrity talent. One of your countrymen, Carrie Elwes, was there playing uh, Romeo, uh, uh, another wonderful, beautiful actress. Olivia Hussey was playing Juliet, which she'd played in the 1968 version that was directed by Franco Zeffirelli. So anyway, there are a lot of world-class talent. And as, as I did every episode, I sat next to Tress McNeil, my, my dear sweet friend who was Dot, my sister Dot, and I grabbed her hand. We had so many actors that we were playing musical microphones. And so I took Tress's hand and I said, boy, honey, take a picture of, this is like 1996, 97. I said, take a picture of this because unless you're on The Simpsons, it just doesn't get any better. We have Tom Ruger who created the show on the other side of the glass, Andrea Romano who won nine Emmys for her directing, directing the episodes, Steven Spielberg running the show, full orchestra. I mean, it just did not get any better in Hollywood with the best of the best. And, um, and I said, this is just, they just don't get no better. Okay. Cut to 25 years later, we'd gone through the machinations. We'd gotten the contract. We were, we went through, you know, years of stopping and starting and I think we're good to go. Eh, Steven's going to do something else. Let's wait. Okay, blah, blah, blah. We're ready to go. First episode of the new batch a couple of years ago when we started recording them. And I sat next to Tress and I took her hand and I said, sweetheart, do you remember when I said, and she stopped me, she took off her glasses and she said that it doesn't get any better. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> and I almost got tearful. And she was right. It did get better. There's a wonderful love song, old love song called The Second Time Around. And the, the, it's about things don't work out the first time and get your heart broken. But then you meet the right one. And, and it's better the second time around. And the, the lyric in the chorus is, there are those who bet love comes but once and yet. I'm oh so glad we met the second time around. And I got to tell you, that is precisely what happened with Animaniacs. Um, to get to do it again with people who have been there for the birth of my son, the deaths of my parents, vice versa. We're, we're mm -hmm. people who are involved in our lives um, so deeply, way beyond our work. And to get to do it again with Tress and Maurice and Jess Harnell with the king of Hollywood, Mr. Spielberg is now what, 73 years old? And we're doing it again. That's how powerful it was. To, for Tress to have not forgotten when I said it 25 years before, and she called it up and said, it does get better, doesn't it? I said, oh my God. And it is. It's, the audience is huge, Brian. Some of which are eight or nine. <laughs> Yep. of which are 10 years older than I. It's crazy yep. cool. 
Yeah. Amazing. I mean, I, I mean, the thing is, when you mention Animaniacs, you can't say it without singing it. You know what I mean? The Animaniacs. You know, totally. and you, you literally, it's it's ingrained in us, which which I think is just one wonderful. And and seeing my kids watch it as well, because yeah. as as oh. parents, we all we always want to flood our kids yeah. with what we loved. So like the Goonies and you know films like that, and then the cartoons and. I I just think it's fantastic to see their eyes light up. My three-year-old Cara, she's absolutely just at the screen. I think it's fan, fan, fantastic. I I really really do. Um, but talking about obviously people, you know, enjoying it now, and then mm-hmm. you know you've got people like myself uh, that enjoyed it when I was younger. Um, how has the profession changed over the years from from when you was a voice actor back when you were starting out? To now, um, you know, with COVID as well, I can imagine mm. that the last year it's been flooded with a lot of actors that have decided to get into the voice work because, you know, everything's drying up and productions yeah. are stop stopping. So what would you say would, was the biggest difference uh, from when you were starting out to now within the industry? Think, uh, great question. Uh, I think first and foremost is the sheer volume of animated entertainment that's being produced. Um, When I came to LA, Saturday morning was pretty much the only realm for cartoons, uh, at least in the the US. Um, It was a big deal. It's part of popular culture, at least in our country, to watch Saturday morning cartoons in your pajamas, often with your parents in a family bed. You spill cereal on the floor, it doesn't matter because you're saying cowabunga or you know, um, um, what's up, Doc, or or you know. Um, And so the the amount of product available was much smaller than it is now. Um, And so the opportunity to have brand new platforms, Animaniacs is on Hulu in our country. I'm not sure if or where it's playing on your side, but um, it is a platform that was not even thought of when the original show was produced. So I have, in the last four or five years, I worked on, um, I don't know, six or seven shows that have been on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Apple, that uh, Disney Plus, HBO Max, um, that, that, I, uh, that I've had no, um, um, th- that would not have been part of the situation when I first started. So that is both the sheer volume of animated product and the, uh, the methods by which we all consume it uh, is a total sea change. And I believe that we specifically, well, everybody, the creators and the consumers uh, uh, have a better experience. We get more opportunity. We get more opportunity to create and perform and we get more choices. Um, technically we're, you and I are communicating in a way that is virtually instantaneous, a little bit of a Mm -hmm. delay, but nothing that's off-putting, but I'm able to work from home during COVID Mm -hmm. with a fairly rudimentary setup, but I'm not missing a paycheck. Uh, that has changed a lot. I always prefer being in the studio with the other actors because they make me better. It's a blast 
from from a personal standpoint, just working with all these really crazy gifted actors. But from a practical standpoint, it it makes me better. It makes the project better. So I miss that. But I'm still able to make my mortgage payments because I can work from home. And it didn't take long when things got shut down for Warner Brothers and Disney and um, Universal and the people with whom I work on a regular basis to figure it out. Mm. So that was remarkable. Um, the influx of celebrity talent to do the talking dragon in the next Pixar movie, that's something that really wasn't a huge uh, part of the deal when I was a kid. Occasionally you'd see animated versions of famous movie stars, but they would be playing themselves. Like what you see on The Simpsons. Um, Mark Hamill's a dear friend, but the only way Mark could get on The Simpsons was by playing himself. <laughs> Although he was a marvelous actor and he was the voice of the Joker for 20 mm -hmm. years. And to a lot of people your age, he is the definitive Joker. Kevin yep. Conroy, the definitive Batman. Um, yep. But now we have a lot of celebrities doing animated projects. Um, Ryan Reynolds, whom I love as an actor, was Sonic the Hedgehog last year or the year before. Um, and I'm not an actor who has a problem with that. There are actors who kind of go, Jesus, man, don't you have enough? Well, I don't look at it that way. I look at it as mm -hmm. a choice for the producer. If Brian Garner has a million bucks in his production budget and he just says, I want Jennifer Garner to be the, the beautiful princess in my rendition of, uh, you know, an animated version of Rapunzel, I'm going to, I want her. I like what she's about. And the other side of the coin is she's really well known and she has no problem getting on Graham Norton or wherever to talk about it and promote it. Yeah. But unless you got a great script and wonderful people to help execute your vision, you could have Jesus in the park <laughs> and it would go. Yeah. And so I have no problem with a producer deciding uh, to use a celebrity. It is a lot different than it used to be. And I feel that as a non-celebrity talent that doesn't have a, a, a lot of name recognition, my job is to be so good that I make Brian go, you know, if I hire Rob Paulson to be the handsome prince, I'm going to get four or five other creatures out of him. And I can pay him still a nice living, but not even close to what I'd have to pay a movie star. And I'd be happy to do it. Yeah. So would... Eric Bauza, so would John DiMaggio, so would Jess Harnell. You see my point. Yeah. Um, so instead of belly aching about how come, geez, David Tennant's a wonderful actor, but really? He's going to be on Ninja Turtles? Come on. I'm like, great. Bring David on. I'm a huge fan. I can't wait to meet him. That's not my issue. I just got to continue to get better and better and better. And maybe yeah. someday, you know, nice people like Brian in my corner Maybe, maybe I will become a little more recognizable, and I am. Um, but it's because I've been around for so long, and I've gotten to work on really wonderful projects that end up drawing attention to me. Mm. Um, so those are the ways in which it's really changed. My uh, contribution to the project, my process has not changed at all. Mm. I create, I listen, I learn uh, in the same way that I always have, just because there are technical issues that have changed or an influx of celebrity talent and money and the fact that 
Pixar movies often outpace live action movies a lot. Um, yeah. It's pretty cool. There's now an Oscar category for animation that wasn't around. So it's a good time to be a voice guy or a voice girl. It's a pretty cool. <laughs> and you talk about process. Um, could you talk me through the process that you go through? So if you get given a character, because mm-hmm. obviously we can see Yako there uh, stood right next next to you on the screen. So Isn't he? Yeah, he certainly is. And when you're presented with that character, are you get are you given you know what sort of characteristics he has, or is it all down to you to come up with that, and then the animators work from your voice? Or, I mean, if you could explain the process. Great question. And the short pre-explanation answer is yes, with an asterisk. Um, all of that is true. I I am well. Case in point, Yakko. When I was presented with Yakko, uh, 1992, um, <laughs> I, uh, what we generally all do is we're presented with that image. Uh, and, I'm sorry, that image and various other images, back, uh, you know, side view, back view, happy, sad, all that stuff uh, from the artists. Um, and bits of script so that we can, you know, uh, uh, side, they call them sides, uh, excerpts from the script, um, you know, to create a, a character voice. Um, and also we're given a list of attributes that the producers think they want from Yakko, Wacko, and Dot in terms of how they interact with one another. Uh, mm. These are three siblings, sibling rivalry. Um, Yakko's the oldest of the bunch kind of a smart ass wisecracker. The script reflects that. Um, so we're given a bunch of different characteristics of the character. And then it is up to me to come up with a bunch of ideas and mm. audition them with the producers on the other side of the glass and the writers. Um, and when it works, even in an audition, if you're the producer and you say, oh, Rob, you know, let's do another line four there. That really, I think we're starting to get something. Do that again, that last choice you made. Um, let's try that again. Maybe let, let's, let's explore that a little more. Uh, that is what will happen during the audition. And when you're done, often the producer will say, great. I think we're pretty good. You got anything else you want to throw in? And in my case, I always do, Ryan. I have a very solid improv background. And I find that if I can develop a character with the characteristics and traits the writers and producers want and need in that character, and then I can riff as that character without a script, but saying things in the context of the character that Rob wouldn't say, I got something because it's, uh, it's organic, it's natural, it's authentic. Uh, then we can all help to make the character more fleshed out. But that's why when, when a producer asks me if you got something else, I say, oh yeah, and I do. Does it work all the time? Absolutely not, but that's not the point. The mm. point is that it red flags me. <clears throat> it shows Brian Garner that Rob's really thinking. And you know mm. what, what he did here probably not right for Yakko, but it might be right for Pinky. 
It might be right for Dr. Scratch and Sniff, or maybe not. But let's file that away because this guy's really thinking on his feet. So then what happens is that I'll get a call back a couple weeks later. Brian and his casting people go through it. They go, okay, Rob really started to get it here. It's worth exploring. We know more now about what we want. Let's bring Rob back mm. and trash. You see what I mean? So yeah. in that, in, in, that's why I always have something in my back pocket because I don't know whether that is going to help me get a call back and get another shot. Or even if I don't get the job at all, a year down the road, the show might be a hit without me in it, but they're coming up with a new character and I'll get the gig. And then I get two or three years on the show to cultivate a character that nobody even knew about. So mm. uh, that's how the process goes. Um, after several callbacks, mixing and matching with other actors and seeing how these characters interrelate, uh, then you get the show. And this is where the other part of your, of your uh, question comes into play. Once the show becomes uh, um, something that is in production, then the writers start to write to fit what Rob, you know, some of the, um, some of the uh, catchphrases or things that Pinky does on his own or Carl Weezer or Raphael or whatever. Mm -hmm. People start to write, the writers start to write and create based on the character traits that were not known at the beginning until you start to flesh it out. And, and they'll start to write for you. And that's when it really, really starts to hit on all cylinders. And um, so all of that comes into play, um, mm. which was, you know, your question. All of that happens. And uh, it happens really beautifully if you have something that, that can last for three, four, five, six, seven years. Um, and that's when it really is great because all the animators, all the writers, the musicians, the songwriters on a show like Animaniacs, I, I got to sing almost in every episode. And um, the, the composers can write songs that work beautifully for you in your key and, and lyrics that are spot on um, for the character. So that's, that's how all that works. You've been listening to Be More Super, the podcast. It was kind of a crazy, fun experience. I love the show, guys. You're awesome. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share with your super friends. My world, it means hope.